0: I'd like to invite the children to come forward and since the center is closed there you'll have to come around if you want to come up and around and if you're joining us online you can scoot a little closer to your screen good morning it's good to see all of you this morning I thought we might have a light crowd today with the kids but you all are here and it's wonderful I'm glad you're here I want to tell you a story. Now this is a story that I saw on a TV show, so it didn't really happen. But I thought it was a neat story. There were two teams playing a baseball game, the pink team and the blue team. And it was the championship game. And they both, both teams wanted to win so bad. And they were playing the game and they got to the ninth inning And the blue team was up to bat and if they just got one more point they would win the game and the blue batter got up and she hit the ball and it was a home run it went out of the ballpark and she started running around the bases and she got almost to second base and she twisted her ankle and she fell and she couldn't get up it hurt too much and the, the officials in the game said, well, she has to make it to home plate or she doesn't get to win. And so you know what happened? The other team, the pink team, came up and they gathered around the blue player who had fallen and they picked her up and they helped her walk to second base and then to third base and then home and they helped her win the game for her team the pink team was really sad that they didn't win the game but they were also really happy that they helped care for this other person sometimes when we follow Jesus when we love and care for other people sometimes we have to give something up and sometimes that can make us feel a little sad but when we help other people, when we love and care for other people, that makes us really happy, too. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, that's nice. Okay, you know what? We're gonna have a prayer. Can you tell me more about that later? Okay, we're gonna have a prayer now. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for showing us what it means to love and care for others. Help us to love and care for others. And when we make that choice to do that, and it sometimes it might make us sad, but be with us when we're sad. And help us to know that we did a good thing, too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you're three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Brandon to Children's Church. Great, and then otherwise you can go back to your seats. Thanks so much for coming. I want you to know that Pastor Brandon helped me out with this sermon this week. He let me borrow one of his his books by A.J. Levine. I'm gonna mention her in the sermon. Um, And the title of the book is The Difficult Words of Jesus. So when you're preaching on a text that comes about in a book called The Difficult Words of Jesus, you know that you have a challenge ahead. So would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts that we think be acceptable to you. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. When I was just out of college and living on my own, I decided to join a gym. It was one of those giant national chains with a really good sales pitch, really aggressive salespeople, and also a really long contract. Unfortunately, I did that thing you're never supposed to do with a contract. I skipped over the fine print and I signed my name on that dotted line. If I had bothered to read it, I would have discovered that I wouldn't be allowed out of the contract unless I moved over 100 miles away from any of the company's many gym locations all over the country. And then I would have to prove my new residence was out of range with a copy of my driver's license sent via mail to the company headquarters. Well, not too long after I signed my life away, I found out that I had been accepted to a faith-based volunteer program, kind of like a churchy version of AmeriCorps. I would be moving to a new city to work in a church, and they would provide me with housing and a stipend of $200 a month, which had to cover food and all of my expenses. As you can imagine, that was not going to cover the expensive gym membership that I had just purchased. And as luck would have it, that gym had a location right in the center of the city where I would be moving. I really should have read the fine print. Thankfully, I was eventually able to get out of the contract, but I learned my lesson. In case you didn't notice, there is no fine print in our gospel lesson this morning. There are no hidden fees, no buried caveats, no sneaky bait and switch. Jesus is very clear about what it costs to be his disciple. And frankly, I think it's probably one of the worst sales pitches I've ever heard. It's like he's saying, you want to be my disciple? Great. All you have to do is hate your parents, your siblings, your spouse and even your children. But don't stop there. You have to hate your very life. And in case there's anything else in this world that you're attached to, you also have to give up all of your possessions. In return for all of that, in return for all of that, you get to carry a cross, a symbol of suffering and pain and death that might actually turn into literal suffering, pain and death. Who wouldn't want to sign on that dotted line, right? Well, me for one, no thank you Jesus, I will pass. New Testament scholar A.J. Levine writes about how she's wrestled with this text. She says that her first thought is to reject the entire gospel. But, she says, I have enough respect for Jesus to know that it's unwise to dismiss a saying that on first or even second reading I find disturbing. She goes on to say that we do ourselves no favors when we look away or rush to another text. We've got to sit with Luke's Jesus, she says. We've got to sit with Luke's Jesus. Maybe there's no fine print, but it's probably a good idea to sit with Jesus and sort through this discipleship thing. So let's sit a minute. Many people have suggested that when Jesus tells us to hate our families, he means that we shouldn't love our families more than him. In fact, that's the way this text reads in its parallel in Matthew. Whoever loves father or mother, son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, says Matthew. Says Jesus in Matthew. The implication, of course, is that Jesus needs to be the first priority in our lives, and everything else can fall in line behind. In that way, when Jesus asks us to pick up our cross, our hands are free. We're not weighed down by carrying other priorities, and instead we're free to carry that cross wherever Jesus leads. But I have to be honest, that whole idea makes me a little uncomfortable, and I don't think it's because I'm lazy and don't want to carry that cross. I think it makes me uncomfortable because I've seen it used as an excuse for abuse. Abuse of self and abuse of others. I've seen people devalue and dehumanize and hurt others in a misguided desire to put Jesus first. I've seen people pick up the wrong kinds of crosses. The crosses of overwork or false martyrdom because they only feel worthy of being called a disciple if they're miserable for Jesus' sake. Author Sarah Bessie reflects on one such example in the life and ministry of A.W. Tozer. Tozer was known for his writing and preaching but also for his passion for God. He would spend hours alone in diligent study or laid out on the floor in private devotion and worship. He was always seeking more of God and he seemed to have this insatiable hunger to be with God. And he was celebrated and praised for his faithfulness. But Bessie points out that Tozer was so consumed by his desire to follow Jesus that his wife Ada basically raised their seven children as a single parent. She often berated herself for the weakness of daring to need love from this man who was never around. Bessie says that Tozer's commitment to simplicity meant that the family paid a price. Because he refused to spend money on a car, Ada had to navigate walking long distances in harsh Chicago winters. He refused to take a full salary, which meant that Ada had to take on the burden of raising their seven children in poverty, knowing that their circumstances could easily have been different. Bessie says he was unyielding and he seemed to lack awareness of the price his wife and children paid for his devotion to God. As biographer Lyle Dorsett wrote, he had no inkling that his zeal for God's house was undermining his own. Is that what Jesus meant by hating your family? Perhaps one of the saddest things to me about Tozer's story is that at the end of his life, he's reported to have said that he had a lonely life. Is that what Jesus meant by hating your life? Is that what it looks like to carry the cross of Jesus? I don't think I can get on board with that. But maybe I don't have to and neither do you. Maybe that's not what Jesus meant. If we sit with Luke's Jesus a little longer We remember that he told us to love our enemies we remember that he told us to love our neighbors as ourselves which of course implies that we should love ourselves and we also remember that in the passage just prior to this one that we read this morning Jesus tells a story about a banquet The invited guests make excuses for why they can't come, so the host gets kind of frustrated, and he goes out, he sends his servant out to invite all these people who are on the margins of society to come and enjoy the feast. He wants his house filled, and he doesn't care who comes. He wants everybody there. Over and over again, Jesus doesn't incite hatred, but instead he compels us to love. Over and over again, Jesus doesn't call us into loneliness and isolation, but calls us into community, especially with those who have been isolated, forgotten, exploited, and abused. Over and over again, Jesus doesn't treat people as objects, but as human beings, people who are inherently good and worthy of dignity and even agency. I think that's why Jesus was so upfront about the cost of discipleship. He didn't want to manipulate anyone into following him, but he wanted to give us freedom and choice. He wanted to be honest that sometimes the life of a disciple is difficult and painful. Not in the way that an abuser causes pain, but in the way that it can hurt when we choose to make ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of others. AJ Levine says that Jesus isn't saying that we should eagerly seek out pain Rather he's saying at the beginning that we must open our eyes to suffering As comfortable as some of us may be she says We must be aware that not all have what they need to live food shelter medical care someone to hold in the night The first sign of carrying the cross daily is to recognize the gap between what we may have while others may lack. She goes on to say that that initial pain serves as a provocation. It gets our attention and it tells us that there's something wrong. And then it gets us to act to alleviate the suffering of others. Sometimes, Levine says, We might find ourselves ostracized by people who are more interested in wallets than welfare. Sometimes following Jesus can be painful. Does Jesus want to be the first priority in our lives? Of course. But carrying the cross isn't meant to hurt others or isolate us or make us miserable. It's meant to draw us closer to others in love, even others we may never have considered worthy of love. In the final verse of our text, Jesus tells us that we can't be his disciples if we don't give up all of our possessions. According to one commentary, this probably referred to the sharing of goods among the early church. So Jesus' call to give up our possessions wasn't meant to leave anyone destitute. It was meant to ensure that everyone in the community had enough, not just to live, but to thrive. New Testament scholar Mitzi J. Smith suggests that perhaps what Jesus meant by hating family is refusing to live by narrow, exclusive ideas of family when it comes to meeting human needs. You see, in Jesus' day, the extended family was the center of a person's world. It was the source of their identity, it granted them honor and status, and it provided them with political, religious, and economic social networks. Ultimately, one's family was the source of their security. So when Jesus invites us to expand the definition of family to include those on the margins, it would mean safety and security for those who wouldn't normally have it. And it would mean a measure of sacrifice for those who would. Faith Fowler is a United Methodist pastor and the executive director of Cast Community Social Services in inner city Detroit. She tells the story of how her church received a HUD grant to open Michigan's first safe haven for men with severe mental illness who are living in homelessness. They had planned to renovate an apartment building next to the church for the residential program, but they soon found that the cost would be too prohibitive. So they began working with a real estate agent who found a promising property. But before they could even submit a bid on the property, the local community association asked to meet with them. It quickly became apparent that the representatives of the association had what Fowler calls NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, not in my backyard. She tried to explain to them that the safe haven wanted to be a good neighbor. She tried to help them understand the nature of mental illness and how these men could be good tenants and citizens with adequate treatment and care. But it didn't work. Not in my backyard, they said. Eventually, and after a lot of negotiations, the church was able to acquire a different property to fit their needs. Fowler says that today the residents regularly volunteer with neighborhood cleanup days where they eliminate blight and board up and secure vacant structures. Now that we're located in somebody's backyard, she says, the local community association meets in our building every month. The longer I sit with Jesus the more I begin to understand that he's trying to help us have an incarnational faith a faith in which we see the pain and sorrows of our neighbors along with their joys and celebrations a faith in which we encounter Jesus not only in quiet prayer and study but also in the faces of others parents siblings spouses children and also the faces of those who don't look like us or act like us or live where we live. The image on the front of our bulletin this morning is this beautiful depiction of a person carrying a cross. I invite you to look at that if you're able. The artist is unknown, but the piece is called The Cost of Discipleship. If you're able to look at that image, I would invite you to imagine with me if I could wave a magic wand and change that image just slightly. I would include a whole group of people instead of a solitary individual, each one carrying their own cross, but also helping others with theirs. Because friends, when we carry the cross of Jesus, we carry one another, and we expand our definitions of family so that everyone has enough, not just to live, but to thrive. May it be so. Amen.